Hey guys, thanks for taking the drive down State Street. In this episode, we talk about The Seed by John Gordon. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to State Street. Hey guys, this is Nick Kleitch, the co-host and the voice, and with me, as always, are my good friends, Jeremy Machido and Cole Szynski. Uh Gentlemen, how are we? Nick, we're doing good. Uh, you know, had a great weekend. It's, uh, it's good to finally talk to you guys again. It's been, what, almost a week now since we talked, basically a week. We, uh, we had our, what, two episodes last Sunday, so I mean, it's been a while for us, technically. We usually, what, get together Tuesday nights for most nights, and you know, it's it's nice to actually get back and actually have a real conversation with you two. Yeah, I don't really have much. Just good to be here. Let's get the <laughs> ball rolling, Nick. I know it. Yeah. Well, it's we were reflecting a little bit b- before this and going on air at just where we were at in the, in the podcast and what we've all talked about, and uh, it's been really fun to kind of think back to our origins. And um, sometimes we got to move and shake and, and be flexible to get these good episodes out with the good content. But uh, what we're talking about today. Uh, one of the final books in the John Gordon series, The Seed. Um, this one was a, kind of a shocker, Cole. I think you would agree with that. We we had kind of a reoccurring running theme in the last couple of books as they all somewhat tied together with different character interactions. And this one did as well, but I think it hit a little different. This one, this one was, it was kind of like training camp where it was deep, but it was deep on a, on more of a personal finding your why and finding passion and having passion for what you do and where you're at and where you're going. Um, training camp was more of what the best do better than everyone else. Whereas this one was more personal focused and it was, it's it still tied to like a professional career. Obviously that's what the story was ultimately about is a guy finding passion and purpose through his career, but it was a lot more tied to personal life and it resulted in me doing a lot of reflection. I know, Nick, you would probably say the same. Yeah, it was really nice reminder from other books that I've read in the past. But the way that John was telling this story, of, of all the other books, I, I think The Energy Bus was really well written in, a, in terms of a storytelling atmosphere. But this book really did a nice job start to finish of uh, character development and, and bringing different pieces in and then also having kind of a, a fun ending, uh, a little bit of a sad ending, but a fun ending to say the least. But uh, Cole, let's let's dive right in. So uh, our main character is, we would almost say 20-something, you know, kind of like what we are. That's assumed. I'm not sure if they mentioned that in there, but uh, struggling with a little bit of work and passion and not really sure. Uh, what's going on and he's kind of scratching his head a little bit and um, he gets on this journey and and we'll get into the good stuff but what was the the number one thing kind of off the cusp here that was important to you as you were reading through some of this stuff well I think to me and and kind of like you and I talked about just before we actually jumped on the actually record for me it was more so about how much it, it blew my mind how much this reflected my life and exactly where I'm at. I think you're exactly right. It never says in this book that he's a 20 something year old. All it says is that Josh, our main character is at his job and he was like, he came, he came into that job and into that role, um, very passionate, very energetic. And, and he was uh, full steam ahead about where he was going and, and the role that he was taking on. And over time, that fire and that passion had kind of died out. And he 
had felt like he had come to a, a stalemate in his career or at that pla- that specific place of work. Um, and his boss actually called him in and said, hey, you're just, you're not the same guy I hired. Here's two weeks vacation. Figure it out. I don't, you know, if it's time for, for both parties to move on, you know, I would rather rip it off like a Band-Aid rather than try to squeeze out anything that if it's not left um and so it i i the the biggest thing for me is um is talking about challenges and how everything happens perfectly how it's supposed to happen these challenges come along in our lives or we we begin to question these things in our life at the exact moment the the perfect moment that we need to in order to continue to grow and in order to find our actual why. It's funny how the signs and the coincidences that pop up in uh, this book, but also in real life, it it always just is a confusing thing for me as I look at some of the adversity of late here in my own career and in, in the past. You never see it in the moment. You're always so frustrated, or at least I get very frustrated when these things happen uh, in the short term. You know, the DUI, for example, I uh, was just so mad at the situation. And then after it happened, I look back, you know, six months and it's like, holy cow, that happened for a reason. And, you know, getting the clarity of mind on why doesn't necessarily come until a couple months after. And uh, just to stay on this topic, we were talking about when, when we all got furloughed, um, that we were very frustrated. And it's almost as if, Cole, I think you would agree that you found some peace now before going back to work with, with all the great summer and the work that you've put in. Well, yeah, it's, it, we, I mean, we, I, I, I talk about challenges and um, yeah, getting furloughed from a job or, or let go of a, from a job that I put in a lot of work to get to and that I was really enjoying and that I was really finding my stride in um, right before everything that I had been working for up to that point was about to culminate and, and I was going to get to see the fruits of my labor, it, it all gets pulled out under you. The, the rug gets completely pulled out from under you. And for me, it was, um, I, I, I have to be honest in this book, there's a lot of faith talk. So there's a lot of talking about um, God and, and higher power and um, how spirituality, God spe- yeah, spirituality and how he works in a, everything he does is perfect. And it, everything is happening according to the, the, the plan for your life, whoever is reading it, obviously in this case, it was me and you, Nick. Um, and yeah, dude, I just this week it, reading this book, I had so many just interesting coincidences. I told you, um, right before we recorded this about how in the book at the very beginning, he talks about how anytime um, he see the our main character sees the time 111 or 1111, he knows it's going to be a good day. If he looks down at his watch or his phone or whatever, he knows it's going to be a good day. That happened to me as soon as I read that. I, <laughs> I, 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 it was almost instantaneous. I, I read that and it came to the end of a chapter and I closed the book. I ran upstairs because I didn't have my phone on me. And... I, I turn my phone on and what do I see first thing is it's 11, 11 in the morning or in the, the middle of the day. And then it's so funny how he's listening to the song, live like you're dying. I literally read that and I was out mowing the lawn. That song comes on uh. by, by Tim McGraw. And so all of these things, it's kind of weird. And, and to me, it's like, it, it's God speaking to me saying, 
the the plan is perfect. You are where you're supposed to be right now. You are growing where you're supposed to be. And it, it's it's good affirmation and it's confirmation that I'm on the right path. Um and obviously there's well, I guess we'll just get right into it. Um there's a there's a quote in this book and it talks about challenges and delays and obstacles is is the actual vernacular that's used. Um and it says some obstacles are meant to test us. Other obstacles are meant to prevent us from doing something that will harm us. Which one was this is the actual quote. And that when I read that, I I just had this ridiculous like reflection period. I, I put the book down and I just thought, I was like, which one am I in? Where am I at? Is, is this a is this an obstacle that's preventing me from or that's telling me to not do something because it's gonna bring harm to me? Or is this something that is testing me and, and testing my strength and my resiliency and making me question how bad do I really want this and if I really want to make this work. Yeah. Dude, it's it's crazy how reading these books have, have aligned, but this one in particular. Yeah, and I'm glad that you were open-hearted to reflecting with your life and situation. I think that just off the cusp here, if, if you're ever going through a difficulty or a challenge, try to gain a higher perspective. If only we could stand next to the good Lord and, and see what he's doing and, and how that would catapult us in the future, I think we'd be able to relax a little bit and know everything would be okay. <laughs> um, but yes, it was so good to watch not only the character and the, and the story be guided, along by the good Lord, but also you and, and me as well, and Jeremy in there too. Um, I wanted to point this out. So he goes off to a corn maze and he's lost. He's feeling all jacked up and um, not to get on a side tangent, but his dog is actually a main character in this book as well. And uh, she shares a, a really fun insight. We can touch on that a little bit later, but they go to this corn maze and he runs into this farmer and uh, someone he'd never really met before, but felt very warm hearted and uh, this weird sign and conversation happening. And it's these things in life that if we don't are, aren't receiving or open to some of the signs and some of the coincidences, sometimes we miss that stuff. And I think that as we had talked about it, you know, prior to getting on air, I think it's so cool when you're open and looking for the signs, they appear rather good or bad. Well, and you talk about, you mentioned gaining a higher perspective, right? And that was what, that was one of the cool things that you and I both agreed on about this book in particular and how it was written, it was really written from two different perspectives, right? Yeah. It was written from the perspective of our main character who's on this journey trying to decide if in, in within this two weeks vacation, if he's going to continue at the job that he was already at, or is he going to, is it time to move on? Has he outgrown it? And is he going to look for that new opportunity to grow? And he, he, Basically, like you said, he says he's, you know, he's not going to sit around and just mope. He, so he meets some friends at like a corn maze. It's obviously during fall time, which funny enough is a time that we're entering here right now. Um, and yeah, he gains a higher perspective. But the, the other perspective in this book that it's written from is from his dog, who's named Dharma, by the way. Just as a side note, I think that's a fantastic name for a dog. Um, but if, you're, if you as a listener who's ever listening to this... You, if you have a dog or you've ever been around a dog, which I don't know a lot of people who haven't been around dogs, I'm sure there are some, but you understand a dog is the example of unconditional love. And that's a huge talking point in this book. Yeah, because she says, I think it's pretty early on that 
she are, she goes, I already knew my role and, and my purpose, and that was to unconditionally love the main character. And um, guys, put on a little bit of your creative mind here and, and have some fun with us. I mean, obviously, this is a story, but it's kind of cool to have and, and play with the dog who uh, she almost knows before. Uh, it's Josh, right? Or what's the main character? Yep. Okay, Josh what he's struggling through and, and she always is just like one or two steps ahead of him. And it really kind of provides some, some warmth to reading the book. But uh, yeah, I think it's so cool to gain those perspectives and from a higher level because so many times we're in the day to day grind and we forget how far we've come or, or what we've done. And hell boys, we've, uh, we've started a podcast and we're at 30 episodes. My goodness. 31 actually. 31. Thank you, Jeremy, for correcting me there. But um, yeah, it all it all happens for a reason. And as we move forward into his journey, so he is starting to see some signs and he's trying to follow these signs. He's a little confused, but he gets the seed from the farmer and the farmer basically says, hey, plant this when you feel it's right in your heart. Is that correct, Cole? Yep. And so he's going on and trying to think about the past. And then uh, he ends up crossing paths with an old professor and all these little things are starting to play in throughout the book. But um, again, one of the bigger takeaways for me was being open to certain signs and, and certain people, whether it's coming from a, a really close friend or a parent to a complete stranger. Um, I think that is where we can re- even receive or, or learn something from people we don't even know. And even if it's an example of what not to do, uh, there's always good learning examples over there. But uh, tell a little bit on... Uh, that encounter with the professor. Well, the so the professor encounter happened. Um, obviously, as Josh is on this journey, he he goes to this corn maze, and that's when he really has his first. We'll call them light bulb moments or seed moments. We'll call them seed moments because the book's the seed. That's fair. And and he has his first seed moment, and so he's like, okay, I need to go back to my past, and I need to figure out what made me happy. Where was I at my happiest? And he goes back to his college. And he, he runs into, he intentionally runs into an old professor who taught his favorite class. And, uh, and you know, the professor talks about how, um, you know, one, one thing major that I took away actually from the entire book is something that the, the professor talked to Josh about in this book, but it's how he needs to be his own note or he needs to be his own song, right? Yeah. He's not, you're not trying to, uh, to to play someone else's song or go on someone else's journey, yours is unique to every single other person, and that theme comes back and back and back throughout this book. Obviously, in different forms. Uh, this one was just in a a musical and lyrical form, but that Josh realizes later on in the book that that theme keeps coming back up. I wanna I wanna highlight the be your own note thing because I don't think a lot of people realize the importance of be your own note, be your own boss, be your own coach. Like, yeah, you have a boss or you may have a coach or, I mean, the music example, you may have a director, but like, let's be honest, you need to be your own best boss. You need to be your own best coach to actually set forth like a good, um, good day of work. Like, let's be honest, you need to be your best time management. Like you'll get a schedule, but like you need to like, there's a lot of like good, good parts about this, this quote. I really like a lot because it's it's super powerful and it like any way you spin it it can be reson- it resonates. Yeah, it absolutely resonates. Well, and that's the beauty of it is in this book, like I said, the 
that theme, it continues to come up that you are unique to everyone else. Your journey is unique to every single other person. Nobody is going to go through the exact same things that you are. But so in the book, Jeremy, to, to your point, there's a quote on, on page 76 that um, actually, funny enough, our main character runs into George, who is our main character from the energy bus. Uh, so if you haven't listened to that episode, pause it right here, pause, go back, listen to that, and then jump back, back live with us. Um, but the quote goes, it's just that everyone always thinks they'll be happier somewhere else or being someone else in this, in this case, they move from job to job, marriage to marriage, looking for something more when they, when the place should be, when the place they should be looking is within themselves. I mean, there's there's something to say about like switching jobs if you're not being paid your your worth or something. But like, let's be honest, you have to take responsibility for your life. You can't compare your life to someone else's because, yeah, sure, their life may look great on the outside, but you don't know like if if they're a coworker, like you don't know what they go home to, or if it's a friend, you don't know like their work or something. So it's like you need to put forth your best effort to make your life as good as you can make it. And you can't compare yourself to others because like there's so many just variables that are up in the air at this point. It's kind of like controlling the uncontrollable uh, or doing the best you can with that. But George, when he meets with, uh, with Josh boy, he has some hammer hammer advice and it's very timely as well. And uh, to this point, I'm going to spin it in a little bit of a different direction, but uh, I think the core of what this message is saying is find a lot of, of trust and encouragement to really figure out what it is that you are not only passionate about, but what you enjoy doing. And uh, as the, the professor is a musician, he believes that everyone plays this note and it is to your responsibility to play the note to the best that you can possibly play it, not only for yourself, but for, for others. And, and we've talked about this a little bit on prior episodes. It's like, I could become the best recruiter uh, for myself, yeah, but at the same time, if I become my best, think about all the people that get the opportunity to go through a process that maybe I've created or uh, the way I, I speak through my language and my communication. Everyone has these gifts, and I think that that's where Josh was finding kind of a, a light and open heart to his advice of really some coarse um, self-discovery and the importance of doing that for not only yourself but for others too. So so a quick backstory here. I, uh, I don't know if you guys knew this, but I used to be in band, actually. I, uh, I played, the, really? played the saxophone. Yes, I played the saxophone and like, one of the big things like that was like preached to us was like we're, no one like if you're not good none of us are good like you have to be like exactly like you have to be the best note the best version of you because if you're not the best version you're holding everyone else back so i think that's uh, like some food for thought as well that's a great analogy because if we are using society or even a, a county or a small town, if we're not working in sync, we're not working to the level that we deserve to be working at now. Uh, having a, a perfect standard, of course, may be a little unrealistic, but if we could only ponder for a couple of minutes to think what the world would be like if everyone that you knew, both personally uh, and professionally, really took the time to fully develop their gifts and talents and serve the world in the way that executes on that, how much different the world would actually look if we went down that journey. So that's why I like that band analogy too, because when that band is playing in sync, baby, I mean, it sounds so perfect. Well, Nick, 
you kind of you said a very key word that's going to actually keep us going in chronological order of how this book happened and and the layout of our main character Josh's journey. Uh, and that key word is serve. Uh, why don't you go and tell tell our listeners why that word became so important um, in this book and and to Josh's journey? Yeah, so it was the commitment on Josh's behalf to get out of himself and stop chasing happiness per se, and by going and helping other people. And I believe this was advice from George or through George's conversation with Josh. It was kind of a foundational piece that he had moving forward, but he had committed to going to work every day to try to serve other people while also taking care of himself. And you can tell immediately that some of his coworkers are even rubbed a little raw by his just positivity and enthusiasm of how much he was helping other people out and and still being able to do his own work too. And then over the course of time, it really started to take a toll in a positive way to where, holy cow, this guy is on some kind of good drug, that drug being just the desire to serve people. And through that process, Josh really found out that that was part of his calling. Right. Well, and and so to give some context to what the, the chronological aspect, basically after Josh goes back to his college, he realizes that going in and being a professor or trying to work at the college is not where he's supposed to be. Yes. Was he super happy? Um, and, and it was one of the happiest times of his life. Yes. He, he found that out. But he, what he also learned was college was a tool to prepare you for um, finding your purpose and passion. It, w- it was simply a tool to that. His next step, as he's trying to, to think back to his past and, find, and, and figure out where he was happiest, um, he had actually had a college girlfriend that he'd moved to a city with, and he, had to, he was basically scrambling for a job because she already had one in place, and he took a job serving and, and waiting tables at a restaurant. Uh, funny enough, I have experience doing the exact same thing, and as in the book, it says, uh, I personally be- believe that every single person should have to serve and, and serve, be, be a server and wait tables at a restaurant. Yes, I agree with that 100%. Um, but, it, but so as far as Josh goes, that for him um, was one of the happiest times of his life because it was a fast-paced work environment. He had a lot of fun. But what he realized on a deeper level was he truly enjoyed getting to serve others. Mm. Yes, that that was a great point in the book and a turning point for him. He didn't know it at the time. Dharma did. Of right. course she did. Right. Of, course, <laughs> of course his dog did. Yeah, but it was a, a subconscious light bulb or a subconscious storage where he was going through the process and it wasn't until that perfect alignment or, or that calling and delaying uh, or time sense from God hit him where he could do that serving structure but just in a different work environment. And at that point, he's really started to light a fire. Yeah, he's really started to, um, I think after that is when he really begins to look, think about the decision of whether to stay or whether to go. And obviously, we don't want to spoil what, what decision he makes uh, because it, it takes some interesting turns. But that, that truly is, and, and it's interesting how serving others became a huge theme for him, among other things. Like, there were, you know, for people listening to this, I, I strongly recommend reading this. Obviously we strongly recommend reading all of these books that we we've, we've talked about, but this one was crazy um with with the messages that it delivered. And 
the theme of serving others and having a passion for serving others really became a staple into Josh finding his passion for whatever sort of work he was going to do um, and also finding the, the purpose and passion just in living a happy life. Hey guys, just wanted to let you know we teamed up with our guys over at Driftless. You guys may have heard Clayton Lieb come on the podcast and do an interview with us. Well, we got a promo code going on with them. Type in State Street at checkout and you get 10% off your entire cart. Get things like the hats, the hoodies, the t-shirts, the stickers. The hoodies and the tees, you guys, let me tell you, they're some of the softest clothes you'll ever wear. They look great on men and women. They got a new women's line coming out very, very soon. Guys, go get some of these tees, hoodies. The, the hats got great designs, and the stickers will look good on water bottles and laptops. Dude, so this is uh, this is a great bridge or liaison to something I wanted to pose to both of you. Slightly off cusp of the book, but I think it provides value to this podcast and this episode. I liked how George pointed out the difference between a career and a hobby and how passion can sometimes mislead mm. us the back and forth yes. between those two. And so I think that is very prevalent in everyone's life because everyone always talks about find your passion, find your passion, find your passion, where sometimes we need to do hobbies and have hobbies on the side that we enjoy doing because those hobbies are, you know, they clear our mind, they give us joy, but at the same time, a career is different. And I think that's foundationally built different because there are some things that I don't like to do per se, but if I'm really good at doing them, I still deserve to serve the world with those things. Whereas a hobby, golf, for example, I love the game of golf. Will I ever go pro? Yeah, I will. No, I'm just kidding. I wish though. <laughs> um, but that's just an example. So I'm going to ask Jeremy first. Jeremy, could you elaborate a little bit on the difference between how to create your career versus what you could do potentially as a hobby? I see hobbies as like a, as like a fun escape, like you something you get to do like in your downtime, and we're like a career is something like you're showing up every day to work your ass off for, and like hobbies you don't have to really practice for them. You don't have to do all the extra work like you would ex be expected to do in a workforce. Hobbies you can literally just show up, show out, and go home. A career you can't just show up. A career you can't just show up once a week, once twice a week. A career you have to be consistent. You have to be concise. You have to be good at it. And I mean, if you want to mesh the two, I think mesh being able to mesh a, like a hobby and a career works perfectly for some people. But there's other times where like you'll get like people who think they want to do their hobby as a career. Right. They they find out like how much work it actually is to like get off the ground get get going get noticed and then like you know what i'm kind of burnt out by this already so like you need to be able like if you want to make your hobby a career you need to be able to have like the mental fortitude just to like step into that um step into that bigger role and actually make it happen or else you're i mean that probably won't even be a hobby anymore if you fail yeah because i think sometimes people are misled to think that they should do something for a career that they love to do. However, they may do something better even though they don't like it. Yeah. it's uh, So am, am I good to, fire to away, give my baby. elaboration on this? You bet. Fire away. Okay. So, so magically, obviously, I, I wouldn't – you can't write this stuff, but I'm on, a, I'm on the, pay, the exact page that Nick is talking about. Uh, in, in our book, I've, I've got my book open 
And the quote is, happiness can be deceiving, elusive, and misleading. That's what I'm going to go off of. Mm. And I believe the the quote, Nick, that you're talking about is, some hobbies are meant to be hobbies, not careers. Am I right in that? Correct. 78, so, yep. Yeah. So the the example in the book, which I really like because it's a great example of a hobby that's also a career that can result in a lot of burnout, and, and you don't realize what comes with a hobby and what comes with a career. So uh, they, they talk about how opening restaurants because, because people love to cook, right? We, I know tons of people love to cook. I love to cook. I'm not very good at it, but I love to cook. Would I ever, ever <laughs> think about opening a restaurant or going to work in a restaurant to be a cook? No, because I would be absolutely, one, the food would be terrible and you wouldn't sell anything. <laughs> but also... All of the things, and this is exactly what the book said, all of the things that come with um, being a cook in a restaurant. I mean, you guys, okay, we talk about sports a lot, right? To be completely honest, like, I mean, obviously, every, every person who plays a sport or, or is passionate about that would love to be a professional athlete someday, right? Just like Nick said with golf. Yeah, I mean... As a kid, when I talked to my parents about some of the stuff that, that I loved, they said sports. So, like, I've always wanted to be a professional athlete, but I realized at an early age, like, hey, you're probably not going to go pro. <laughs> right. Well, but think about all the things. And obviously, we're not professional athletes, and we know very few professional athletes. But think about all the things that come along with being a professional athlete. I mean, would you, be, would you really be happy having to talk to reporters for a chunk of your day? Would you really be happy having people tell you what your worth is? Mm. And obviously it's millions of dollars. So, I mean, millions of dollars is, is, is life-changing amounts of money. But there are people that want to undersell you and, and that try to cut you down and try to lessen your worth. Those are the kind of things when, when people think about just, I want to be a professional athlete someday, or you're working towards that. Those are also the things. And obviously we do that at a very youthful part in our lives where the intention is very innocent and it's it's filled with pure joy but those are the things that as it as you grow up and as it it either presents itself as an opportunity or not you have to realize that those are the things that come along with it there's a lot of hours spent in a classroom there's a lot of hours spent in meetings there's a lot of hours like i said spent talking to reporters and and talking about money and talking about your worth and what you're doing wrong. Um, and, and those are the things that change a hobby from a career, I guess, yeah. to me. Let, let me, uh, let me run with you a little bit here. And I think you'll like where I'm taking this. So Josh's understanding of his level of service was probably the, one of the most important findings in the book. Now, when we talk about professional athletes, we can use them in a sense that we are being served directly from them where they were supposed to be in God's plan and in God's time. Like watching Mike Trout hit a baseball is him serving me. That's him in his element serving me. You hear this all the time with professional athletes and and we can even spin this off to musicians and, and other industries like interior the, decorators. Yes, exactly. There's people that no matter if they like it or not, I want to make that clarification, like it or not, they, when they perform a certain thing at a certain level, 
that is what it creates that level of professionalism. So, you know, let's say, do you guys ever watch uh, the home flip, the flipping homes? Oh yeah. Like some of those people, like they, that they may not even like all the things that they do, but they were put to show people and go through with that. Now, obviously it's a TV show, but these are just examples. Like Eric Church is a country singer of mine. Like he was put on and in serving the planet by singing songs and creating songs. And that's his niche. And uh, just to kind of wrap it and put a nice bow, um, that is the whole musical concept the professor was saying. We all deserve to see how everyone can serve the world in the most appropriate way. Yeah. Well, and I guess to... To, to wrap it up really good and, and to put the bow on it, you know, a hobby is something that you get to have your own opinion and, it, and it's, it's to serve you. A hobby serves you. A, a career serves others. Mm, I like that. And I think that's, I think that's the, the, the thing that is misleading to a lot of people, especially us. Right. I mean, we are, we are 20 somethings. We are trying to find, like, we are on that, that journey, a really important journey in our lives, obviously, is, Dr. Meg Jay talks about in the defining decade, we're at a very critical and important time in our lives. And that needs to become more of an understanding that a hobby serves us. And obviously we love going to play golf or whether you love to go to, to interior decorate. I mean, the thought of buying a home and decorating it the way that you want it to look is so fun. Now, does that mean you would enjoy decorating other people's homes? Probably not in most cases for most people. There are interior decorators. That is a need. And there are people that are that 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 is their purpose um but yeah dude i actually really like that a hobby is to serve yourself a career is to serve others yeah because hobbies can be hard like you you don't have to be good at hobbies that intrigue you and i think that's a difference maker as well too like um what's another example of a hobby that i really like to do like fitness for example skiing yes that's another one we'll throw in there um so with fitness like i'm not going to be a bodybuilder i'm not going to be a model but i just really enjoy doing that uh but then yeah skiing is another one jeremy i'm glad you brought that up i'm not going to be a professional skier but boy do i i love doing that and and kind of escaping my mind whereas my career path i'm hoping is how i can develop and serve as as you said cole too um but i just wanted to hit on that and fire on all cylinders because I think that differentiating point is very challenging for people to understand at a young age. And uh, Josh in the book is just so grateful that George uh, gave him that sign. And uh, I'm just going to throw this out here because it's a little bit of a fun statement. But ever since I met that bus driver who showed me how to look beyond the road signs and to follow the signs that will guide you through life, uh, that being uh, the energy bus, of course. Uh, I thought it was John's kind of crafty way of doing that. But uh, as we continue on in this book, there are, we get to adversity and we get to this maturing point and growth point for Josh. And he's starting to slowly see how his seed needs to be planted at the very space that he was at. It's just that his perspective and his attitude and some of these other intangibles were changed on how he approached it. And I do like how George noted that happiness is an inside job. If ever you chase happiness, you will never find her or him. Um, but let's talk about Cole, just because I think there is a lot of meat and potatoes there. The different levels of it wasn't the growth formula. What was the the formula that they had noted uh, towards the end of the book? Is it the why process? Yeah. So let's talk on that just for everyone to hear, because I think that is important. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of it was kind of interesting to me, and it was all it was almost at least when it's introduced. Obviously, um, well, not obviously, because the you know people who are listening to this haven't read it yet, but. In the book, the why process is introduced to Josh, but it's not initially finished. Mm. We're, given the, we're given the three phases. 
and I'm gonna I'm gonna cover those, and then I want Nick to take stage four. Sure. Um. So when it's introduced to Josh by this farmer at uh, the corn maze he's at, he go he so he's gone on this journey, and he and the, the farmer tells him that once he once he's had once he's figured it out a little bit, come back and see him, right? And so Josh comes back to this this corn maze and. The, the farmer introduces what, he's called, what, what he calls the Y process. And the first three stages are preparation, planting, and growth. And, I mean, to be quite honest, they're, they're pretty self-explanatory as far as finding your why, and that's why it's called the Y process. Um, what's really cool, too, at the end of this chapter is it talks about how there are, there's a big Y and there's a small Y. Uh, before I get into that though, Nick, why don't you go and, and talk about, um, really, I want you to talk about stage three because in the book they talk about how that's the most important stage and then go ahead and, and talk on stage four for me. Yeah, that is, so I thought this was really well done and there are other books that maybe go into more detail on these, these levels, but this one was, uh, pretty articulated in a, a way that I thought was successful. Um, so stage one being preparation, like you said, and then planting, but then growth. So where he was trying to, to teach and tell everyone is this growth phase can happen for a very short amount of time or a very large amount of time. And this is so unique for every person that's going through their professional and personal journey is the ability to handle adversity and to continue to grow and, and, and push past that. And it said uh, here that every human was here for a greater purpose, which I do believe uh, they just have to be quote unquote willing to go through that and being able to to weed out some of the other BS and and some of the naysayers and things of that that nature and on the other side of that and really going through that growth process is what leads to the the final uh, end game here. But yeah, the final stage and I think this is why the growth period is so important to push through and to persevere through is the harvest. And of course it's timely and fun because this is the seed, but the harvest is reaping the rewards of everything that you've worked for. And this is where we see professional athletes on their pedestal. This is where we see musicians on their pedestal. This is where we see data analytics guys that run the the sports radar world. This is where we see them on their pedestal because they are reaping the rewards of doing their craft so well and putting in all that time and effort to where we see it and it looks effortless, right? We're like, how in the heck is it so easy for that person to do that? But we didn't see their preparation, their beginning stages, all the growth and adversity they face to finally get to the harvest of their fruits. And that's why, guys, you can never and should never give up on any process that you're going through, uh, both personally and professionally. I think another common misperception that kind of scares people away from the harvest to say is that the harvest isn't all that long. The harvest is like a one one event, basically. Like we think of in, in the sports world or in the band world, the harvest is a concert or a game. Like you prepare for weeks. If if you're a football player, you literally prepare for a week just to play one football game. Sometimes two if you get a bye week. Um, take for band for example. I like we had one concert every semester. We literally prepared for three months just for one harvest, basically. And I think people really just like just need to realize like you need to prepare two, three, four, maybe even five times harder than what you'll actually have to do during the harvest. Like, I think that scares people, but I think that's like, that needs to be, you need to know that basically. 
Yeah, well, look at our podcast, for example. We're in the, the very, very early stages, and, and there are other podcasts that are number one right now, and, and Joe Rogan being one of those. But uh, there's a lot of people that bicker at, at some of the, the salary ranges and some of the deals that these people are, are going through, but they don't understand. They worked so incredibly hard for that, and they went through the growth process. You know, and they went through some of these things. That was their harvest per se. Um, but I think in, as it relates to the book, and, and Josh is almost at a moment in his career, we're going to flash forward about five years, and he is almost at like the epiphany of his career. He's at such a point and he's gone through such growth that his harvest is essentially uh, having everything be second nature for him. He ends up giving a speech uh, to his company and, and everyone is just so overwhelmed in, in love and, and courage and all these other great things that they've seen Josh go through. And I think it's so cool that he speaks to Dharma about this. And it's almost a cloud nine effect where he, it was so clear to him what the harvest was in his specific industry. And I think all, of, I only share this because I do think that there will be a harvest for everybody. And I do think it's worth putting in the time uh, for all of these things. But yeah, I just wanted to, uh, to touch on that uh, last piece there. Well, I think it's important to know. I, I would disagree with you there. There's not, there's not a harvest for everyone. And I think that's the important part of, of phase three, Nick, um, is that the, the growth phase and, and in order to get to the harvest, you have to go through the growth phase. And like you kind of alluded to, and I think you actually may have even said that can be for any amount of time. It's not, it's not guaranteed to be um, a week. It's not guaranteed to be a matter of hours. It's not guaranteed to even be years. I mean, it, it can be, it could be decades before you get to your harv your harvest phase and, and that final phase. But when you do, like you said, Nick, things become abundantly clear. Everything begins to make sense. And obviously that's a time for reflection and a time for appreciation for the, the, the opportunities you've been given it's appreciation for the people you've met and that have helped along the way. And then obviously um, it, it's, it's a good time to pat yourself on the back because you have gone through all of the work to, to make your harvest happen. And that's the thing is people who give up and, and don't go through those, those phases or try to cut corners and uh, maybe cheat the system or, or get there in a, in a way that's faster and, and that doesn't, um, allow for proper growth and, and proper preparation. You don't, you don't get the harvest. You don't, you don't get to experience the, the fruits of your labor. And I think that's the important thing to remember is that, um, yeah, would we love to, to know that there's a harvest for everybody? Yeah. And ultimately, I mean, that's heaven or that's whatever higher place you believe in. If you believe in one, um, you know, that's what I believe. I believe heaven is everyone's harvest, but here on earth, um, I want to do everything. I want to go through those stages to, to find my purpose and find my passion here and, and to have my harvest moment here on earth as well. I'm glad you brought that up because so many times I think that, and we've seen this through reading and, uh, sometimes when people hear about a lot of people into personal development and they, they ask a question of like sustainability and, you know, what is it going to look like in the next five years? And I think that this book helped me remember that it's all going to be worth it in the end, no matter what, as far as putting the work in, like 
that was what I think Josh finally experienced as he met all these good people and came back to uh, his opportunity where he just absolutely blew up is he had to go through that process, but he had this little bit of faith and Dharma knew it too, which is so fun as John played it from that opposite perspective. Uh, she knew Josh was blossoming in and she could feel such a peace in his heart knowing he got to the epitome. And I think that that is why that ultimate journey, just to get deep here, the ultimate journey in life is to be able to find, fight, and push through all these levels of adversity to get to whatever harvest that may be. So we we share this only in a way that's inspiring. And, uh, you know, sue us for uh, trying to bring a positive light to the world with uh, with this podcast. If you guys are getting sick of John Gordon, you know, uh, we understand, but we love the guy and we're going to keep grinding here. But uh, yeah, that was one really underlying theme that caught my attention from a really deep level is knowing it is all worth it and knowing that going through the journey always or should end in a, in a positive destination if you put the work in. So I'm glad you, you corrected me, Cole, on that. Well, we've all been through tough shit, right? The three of us. Like, right. like can, we, can the three of us agree that the three of us have been through some pretty tough shit, whether we've been through it together or whether we've been through it individually? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. So it, what this book kind of did for, for me personally, I have to be completely honest, is it gave me a glimpse into the future of we've, all, we've gone through a lot of tough shit, and there's a lot of tough shit to, to be gone through. I mean, shoot, we just went through a derecho where, yeah, right. I mean, there, there, we just, I mean, we just came out of a environmental phenomenon where my house didn't have seven, have power for 77 hours. Right. I mean, there's stuff that we're dealing with today that are, that is adversity and it's tough shit. And there's stuff five, five years down the road waiting for you, Nick, <laughs> for you, Jeremy, and waiting for me that we have no idea is going to come our way, but it's coming. Um, but there's also a glimpse into the future. There's a little a glimpse that we, we get in that plane and there's a, little, there's a light at the end of this tunnel. There's an end to this maze. And that end is so sweet. And those rewards are going to be so great. The, you're, the day you get that dream job, the day you get a step into the role that you've always dreamed of, the day that maybe you just want to become a dad, the, the, the day that your kid is born or the day you get married or Whatever the day that, that you have your harvest, like it is going to be, it, it's a euphoric feeling, I'm sure. I, I don't know because I haven't had it yet, but I can right. only imagine. And obviously this book is what's giving us the glimpse into that. Um, but okay, I, I also have a question for, for both of you guys kind of to wrap us up here. So in this book, and obviously we've spent a lot of time talking about Josh, our main character's conversation with George, who was, who was our main character in the energy bus, right? During that conversation, there's a quote that I want to ask both of you, Nick specifically, because you and I have talked a lot about this even before we started a podcast. Uh, but the quote is, these days, every young gun wants to be CEO, but doesn't want to go through the process of preparation. Mm. Right? So Nick, would you agree that we've talked about how being a CEO of a company or being a general manager of a sports team or being director of a a Broadway show or anything to that level is the ultimate goal. That is what you and I see for our, or that's what all three of us see for ourselves, right? Yeah. At this point, for sure. So Jeremy, I'm going to start with you. What is the process of preparation then 
as you sit here today talking to our listeners, what do you think that looks like for you? For me, it's outwork your competitors. And for me, it's always been preparing has been working harder than the people that want to take your position, take your, take your spot, take, take whatever you have, those people want it. And if you don't prepare every single day, someone's going to come along and take it. Like, let's be honest. You're not going to be a CEO if you don't prepare every day to be a CEO. Like, no one's going to hand you the job of CEO. Like, unless you're some Yale MIT grad where it's like, you know your shit. Like, come on, even guys. then going to a school like that, yeah. it's not easy getting in. Like, come on, let's let's be real. You're not going to be CEO until, I mean, if you start your own company, maybe you'll get lucky and you'll succeed. But like, 50 years old, maybe 60. You have to prepare. Like it's a long road, and if you don't prepare, if you don't set yourself up for success, someone else is going to come along and take your spot. Jeremy, I uh, I sense your competitive strength from the Strength Finder coming out there. Is that correct? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Like I, I, mean, <laughs> I for me, it's always been like if you're not good enough, someone's going to take your spot, and I, I, like that's what lights my fire. Is like you need to be good enough to the point where you can't be replaced. Yeah, well, well, that's part of your self-discovery, and I, I'm glad that you know that about yourself and whatever works for you to get the job done. Um, so, Cole, I got humbled quite a bit when I read that because as such a young individual, I felt that and sometimes feel I deserve more responsibility or, or this or that, but in reality, I don't deserve that really. And so when I read that, it was like, a, I got humbled, but B, it put into a, a perspective that we're, we're just so young into this journey. We want all these aspirations and whatnot and responsibility, sure, and title maybe, but we don't understand what it takes to get to that level because we haven't been through that. We see the harvest. We see the harvest, yet we haven't prepared ourselves and gone through the growth process to get there. And I know my boss is uh, always encouraging me to keep my head down and keep working and uh, developing and growing. And um, along with reading that and him, just always try to remain humble and keep things in perspective. But what that looks like for me, and, and this is me on State Street here quoted at, uh, you know, in 2020, one of the best years we've ever had as a collective group <laughs> um, is, <laughs> is uh, I just want to create mastery in some career path, whether it's selling real estate, recruiting, uh, some type of sales I do know that I'll be in, but I desire mastery to the level where I would perform like a professional athlete to a caliber where they're like, dude, you make it look too easy. And I would tell them, yeah, it's because I've put the time in and I put the hours in and I've gone through the growth phases and I have faced adversity and all of these things is what creates that. So I'm going to turn, turn it back to you though. I'm going to go ahead and ask that back to you when you read that and you look at your career, and, and we've had this conversation many times, what do you see or, or how do you feel? I, for me, there's, there's two big things. Uh, and the first being that I have come to the realization that I have, I, I, I do genuinely love to serve people. Do I love to be running around a restaurant serving food and, and, and beers on, on Friday and Saturday nights? Not particularly. I've done it, and, I, and I've gotten through it, and I understand there's a need and a purpose for it, um, that exact is not what I want, but I do, I do have a love for serving people. And also, um, I always want to be a part of a team, dude. Mm. I, I have such a passion to be 
a part of a team, and ultimately to be put in a position that I can lead that team. That obviously, you know, we, we talk about it at length on this podcast, but we're all athletes. I've been on a team ever since I can remember. I've been a part of a team, whether it's at, at school, you know, doing projects or part of a class or being a part of an actual sports team, even into college, um, in a job, being part of a sales team or being part of a, a business team, being a part of a minor league baseball team that runs the business operations. I've always been a part of a team and I've always striv- striven to, to be a leader and, and take on leadership responsibility. And obviously, as the book says, I'm a young gun in this. I'm not just going <laughs> to step in and get leadership responsibilities. Now, can I set myself apart from the other people that are just stepping in and become a leader of those individuals and that group of people? Absolutely. And that's what you should strive to do. And that's where the work should come in. Um, And ultimately to get your promotions and and to get to your harvest moment, that's the goal is lead whoever you can lead and, and, and let, let people just fall in place. Yeah. Lead, lead yourself and let others follow behind. And um, as soon as Josh did that, he realized what the feeling was, even at a small task, what that, like how that helped out so many people. And he wasn't expecting that. And uh, I'm going to kick it back to you because I think you're on a good roll, but I do want to, or I liked how John threw this in. And uh, this is more on the tactical side, guys. This is something you can actually use for your life. But uh, he said, start with the small whys, and then they build into bigger and bigger and bigger things in the why process. So even if you feel like you're, let's say you're working at Wendy's right now and I'm talking to you and you're on state street. First off, thanks for being here. Secondly, I'm hoping I'm inspiring you, but if you have to make cheeseburgers for people, you make the best damn cheeseburger that you can possibly do. And you try to help out all your teammates. And through that process, something will click, something will happen. And it is how you show up and do those things. So not to get too long-winded, Cole, I'll kick it back over to you, but I did like on the tactical side for those people, if you're confused or lost or in a, in a rough spot, go find somebody to help. And Nick's exactly right. Something will happen. Now, the kicker and the difference maker is being okay with it not happening at your on your schedule or, mm. or, at an, or getting that instant gratification because that's not how it works and that's not how you ultimately get to your harvest, right? It's being okay with doing it over and over day in day out year after year that's when those opportunities those 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 harvest moments um will present themselves but okay so that was just my first my first thought uh, <laughs> uh, into that question my second thought um is actually based off of a quote that's a little farther down the page and it's something actually that i think here on state street us three and i hope that everyone who listens to us would commit to as well and that is don't choose where you will be happiest. Choose where you will learn the most. Mm. Don't choose where you will be happiest. Choose where you will learn the most. Dude, that's, I think that's the essence of what we do here is it, the message isn't, I mean, we try to make it a positive message and we, and we <laughs> love positive energy. We, I mean, we read the energy bus, right? That's all about positive energy. But the, the truth of the matter is that in order to learn, there are struggles that come along with that. And, and obviously, we want to be a break from the struggle, but the struggle is real. And everyone that's listening to this, no matter what you're doing right now, wherever you're listening to this, like there's some struggle going on that you're dealing with. Just know that 
that's what you're supposed to be learning from. That's what's, what's allowing you to grow. And, and it's, it's getting you that much closer to your harvest moment. And, and we got to remember we're, I mean, for the most part, everyone that listens to this podcast is 20 somethings, right? I mean, we still have the, the 30 year olds, 40 year olds, uh, shout out to you guys. We know you don't make up our biggest population, but we still want to give you a shout out. But like most of our listeners are 20 years old. Like if we're at a place where we're happy, are we actually learning? Who knows? But we're growing stagnant, a, actually, Jeremy. Yes, yes. So if we go to a place where we're learning when we're 20, we may not be happy in that position, but we have set ourselves up for fa- or first, not failure, wow. We have set ourselves up for success for the rest of our lives. We have learned more than where someone would be stagnant at. So, I mean, for right now, it's not a bad choice to go to somewhere where, like, you're going to learn more than a place where, like, you're just going to, like, chill and, and be happy of where you're, where you're at in life. Well, and one thing that's really quick, Nick, before you go, I just want to I just want to sneak this in You're good. Uh, before before we we do begin to wrap it up. Um, to Jeremy's point, though, I, lo- I like that he brought that up. To be quite honest, the harvest moment is when learning, when being in a place that you learn the most, but you're also the happiest. That's your harvest moment. And it takes a long time to get to that moment. There's a lot of of questioning and, and adversity to go through, but that's the harvest moment right there. I agree, man. And I think everyone deserves to do that, but make sure that we're putting in the work to do that as well. Um, and I'm going to just gonna throw this out here just because we are talking about it a little bit. And then after this, we can plug social. Uh, first off, Cole, freaking great job of leading this. Jeremy, good input as well. Uh, when you're growing and when you're learning and going through these periods of uncomfortability, that's when we need to throw those hobbies in off to the side. That's when we need to go skiing or learn and take that cooking class or take dance lessons or or what have you. That balance will help us create and go through that because it's hard. It's hard to get uncomfortable. Uh, But I think you guys would agree. It's pretty worth it though, isn't it? For as much as we we are supposed to and, and in order to grow, we have to serve others. It is important to serve ourselves, man. It is. Serve ourselves and also know that Again, you may have that fear in your gut before you make that phone call or uh, that big presentation, but always go through with it. It is God's work and God's trying to use you as a conduit, as they do say. And I did like how they noted that. But Jeremy, go ahead and plug social media for us. All right, guys, if you enjoyed the episode, please go ahead and give us five stars. If you love it, please, please go ahead and subscribe. We, we see your support. We see the stars you give us. I mean, we love that you guys are supporting us. I mean, it's probably one of the best things like we get to go see on, uh, on Apple's iTunes. We go see everyone that's given us five stars. It's, it's great. I mean, I mean, I, I love seeing that people are, are giving us five stars. I don't know about you guys, but dude, it's, it's awesome when you get to walk onto Apple podcast and you see state street, five stars. How, like, how cool is that guys? I would say it's awesome. And it makes me know and, and believe that people are listening to us at least in a little bit of capacity. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's good to know that the message is at least getting across to some people. That's the most important part. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's just the stuff that fires me up too. I mean, I love the numbers. I love looking at all that stuff, but I mean, <laughs> if you guys want to go ahead and, and follow us on Instagram, it is state street pod. Twitter is at state street pod and Facebook is state street podcast. And before we get us out of here, guys, I did want to talk a little bit uh, on our next guest. Uh, this individual is someone that has taught all three of us a lot about strength and conditioning and, and health and wellness, but also about life. And uh, this individual is, his name is coach Z. And he was a, a prior guy 
uh, at, at Upper Iowa. And we're going to talk to him on more of a what he's doing now basis, but a great guy to learn from, and I think it'll be fun. And uh, just as he's listening to this uh, episode, I'm going to give him a quick shout-out. Give me two clap, Ric Flair. <laughs> Woo! Hey, until next time, State Street Gang. Woo!